Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. Would you stand to your feet as we begin? The faithful, we're singing, Oh, come all ye faithful this morning, singing to the Lord, praises to him. Let's celebrate. Song declaring we belong to Jesus. 
and be seated. So great to see you guys here this morning. Thanks for coming out on Christmas Day and spending uh, this morning celebrating the Lord's birth. Uh, if you are a guest, thank you so much for coming out and as well, and I know that's a really big thing, so thank you so much for being here today, whether you're in person or online, uh, it's great to celebrate with you. I'm going to invite you to look inside of your bulletin this morning, there is a great connection card, go ahead and pull that out online, uh, there should be a connect link that'll be there in the chat window, but this simply is a great way for us to make a connection, to be able to say hello, uh, there's things, there's on the back of that card, there's places you can ask questions if you have any questions about Peckway Church, you can do those same things online as well. But we love connecting people to God and one another. And uh, in a crowd this, this size and online, this is the best way that we can do that. So take a moment anytime during the service today, fill that card out. For those in person, you can drop it in the back of the room in that uh, brown box as you're leaving. And online, of course, you just hit the send button and it comes to us. And so we'll reach out and say thank you and hello uh, for being here, part of our service today. Well, we are continuing our sermon series and today we're going to look at Mary once again and the faith that Mary had as she said yes to Jesus and so uh, I'm praying that our faith will be strengthened and we'll be encouraged in our faith as we see uh, how God used Mary and the faith that she had so stay tuned for that have your notes ready and uh, we'll listen to that sermon as we're encouraged today thinking about Jesus and his birth well I'm going to invite you to stand once again as we continue our worship singing some more great carols uh, lifting up the Lord this morning let's sing because there is joy today because Jesus is here
going as we sing another great carol this morning together. We're going to sing Angels, I think, from the realms of glory, or Angels We Have Heard on High, I think. That's it. So let's lift him high this morning in this place, worshiping him. Thank you, Jesus. carol together as we sing the seeing the first noel you know sometimes it's hard when we sing carols we kind of get used to although we don't sing them all the time so don't let the the nostalgia of them steal the glory that there is in it and worshiping the king and so we're lifting him up in this place today and you're doing a great job so let's keep singing about the glory 
of the newborn king as we sing this carol together.
Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we are so glad that this day is the day that we can rejoice, that we celebrate your birth, Jesus, and the plan you had for us from the very beginning of time, the redemption through your love, Father. So today we thank you. We're so grateful that we can be here on Christmas Day singing praises to your name. And so, Lord, may you be honored and glorified through what you've uh, already heard today, God. May our hearts rejoice and as we celebrate you as our Savior. Father, open our hearts, our minds, our ears now as we come to your word. And I pray now this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas, church. And I just want to say with Scott... Uh, it really is good to be with you. I mean, I, I am thankful, truly thankful, that we could gather in a place like this at a time like this to truly celebrate and mark the birth of Jesus. And what my hope is today is to maybe make that just a little bit more personal. The way I want to do that this morning is to suggest to you, and if you're a parent, I know this is true for you, if you're prior to that age, you're not quite there yet, that I hopefully will do some things, say some things, will help you look forward to that day. But here's what I want to tell you from personal experience, and I think most of you would say, if not all of you who are parents would say amen, that there is nothing more exciting, and I think in many ways more anticipated as a young couple than the birth of your first child. I mean, I know that was true for Lara and myself. I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, and like all first-time parents, we did probably what you did. Lara and I were all about preparing, right? We, we wanted to make sure that we read everything, bought everything, prepared everything in the nursery. So we set up a nursery, so we painted a room, so we bought baby clothes, and we walked through the aisles of Toys R Us and Cabela's with a gleam in our eye. Okay, now that second part was just me. But the reality is it doesn't destroy the point that I'm trying to make, and that is Lara and I were thrilled, and I, su I suspect you were as well as parents, thrilled about the most frightening, terrifying, and yet at the same time, the most special, exciting thing that we ever faced together as a young couple. It was amazing to think about being new parents. And when our son, our oldest, is named Bryce, is now almost 30, it's hard to believe, but when Bryce was born, we literally had been at our very first church that we pastored in central Kentucky only for about four months. And, and Lara's family was back in Kansas, and my family was back in Kansas, and so we had a wonderful church family in that small rural community of Kentucky who just took it upon themselves to make this bringing this new baby home a very special thing for us. And, and they not only tried to do it for Lara, which was natural, they even tried to do it for me. And I really appreciate that. And one of the things that stands out for me personally, what they did, is they discovered, not shortly after I arrived there, I fell in love with a soft drink that was bottled in that town, little town of 2000, that was called Ski. Now, some of you have heard of it. Those of you who are old enough to remember the song from the Kentucky Headhunters, Dumas Walker, a slaughter bigger fry and a bottle of ski. Well, that's what this town, that's what that song was about. But anyhow, I fell in love with this soft drink. You say, what is ski? If you want to try it, you can, you can find it at, at Cracker Barrel up on the shelf. You'll need to mortgage your home to buy it. But the reality is you could try it. Let me just tell you what it is. And this isn't a commercial for ski, but folks, it's basically thing Mountain Dew with double the caffeine. I mean, it was the nectar of the gods. It's, it's wonderful stuff. But they discovered that I love this stuff. And, and so here's what they did. They, they called the bottling factory. This is a small town. Everyone knew everyone. They called the bottle factory there in town, and shortly after Lara and I arrived, I saw this ski truck, this double cola truck, delivery truck, pull up in front of the house, and a driver got out with this case of ski, these glass bottles of ski, remember those things, 48 of these rascals, ice cold, right off the production line, 
And he met me at the door and handed it to me. He said, hey, from your friends at the church, they wanted you to have this. And so I took that inside, and there was my young wife, my newborn son, and I had a case of ski. And folks, I want to just tell you, the thing that went through my mind is going, life is good. Life is really, really good. Now, here's the reason I go through all that, not to just reminisce, but I know many of you, probably most of you who are parents, have memories like that. Memories where people come, came alongside you to celebrate and support you in the birth of your child. Now, here's where we need to pivot. We need to remember that was not at all what Mary and Joseph experienced. In fact, it was completely contrary to what Mary and Joseph experienced. Every step of the way, from the time Mary found out she was expecting to the very time she delivered, it was anything but wonderful. It was anything but if a cherished memory in the sense that it was a positive memory. Now, if you're here last Sunday, let me just kind of bring you up to speed. If you're here last Sunday, you remember we talked about the fact that when Mary found out she was expecting, she was probably 13, 14, 15 years of age at the most. I mean, at 15, 14, or 13 years of age, an angel appeared to her and said, Mary, God wants you to not only give birth to a son, but his son, the son of God, the savior world, the Messiah for the, all, the entire humanity. And the interesting thing, and the thing that blew me away when I began to prepare this, was the fact that this 13, 14-year-old girl, knowing that she was going to face rejection, knowing she was going to face ridicule, knowing that she would probably lose her engagement, you know, lose her fiancé, knowing that she could very possibly lose her life, she still said yes to God. She still said, I'd do that. Now again, I want you to remember, folks, that the video we saw last night was wonderful. But I was thinking about this this morning. The the lady who portrayed Mary literally was old enough to be Jesus' great-grandmother. I mean, do the math. If she was 13, it was possible that she was the first child, so her mother, Jesus' grandmother, was in her late 20s at the most. Great-grandma would have been maybe in her late 30s, early 40s. So think about this. We need to understand, here's this young girl saying yes to God when she was facing all this risk, all this all these wonderful things in one sense, but all these terrible things in another. So here's the question. What did happen? Well, what I would tell you for certain, if you already haven't figured it out, it didn't involve ice-cold cases of ski. It didn't involve buying baby clothes, and it didn't, walk, didn't involve walking the aisles of Toys R Us or any other place. It involved everything that was absolutely opposite. And let me just bring you up to speed. Here's, here's the first thing that we know from the scriptures that Mary experienced during her pregnancy, during her maternity, is she ex- experienced extreme poverty. And if you're here at the very beginning of the series, you know that because I'm going to take you back to a verse that we looked at in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Here's what we read. When the time of her purification, according to the law, had been completed, remember that was 40 days after the birth of Jesus, It says, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem, presenting him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now again, what we need to remember is the prescribed sacrifice at that time was a lamb and a pigeon. What we read, there was, though, in the law, an exception clause. And the exception clause was for the poorest of the poor. In other words, if a couple literally was too poor to afford a lamb, and they didn't decide that, the priest decided that. But if the priest determined that a couple was really that poor, that they could not afford a lamb, and the couple would have tried everything they could possibly do to get the lamb, then they could bring two doves instead. 
And so the fact that Mary and Joseph got that exception to the law tells us they were the poorest of the poor in Israel. And Mary began her life as a bride, as a mother, in, in the most desperate of conditions financially. But that's not all we're told as well going on in the Scripture that Mary's entire maternity, her entire pregnancy, was, was spent away from her family. By and large, away from her family. She was far away from home. In other words, and we need to go, we got to go back to, to Luke's gospel, or rather Matthew's gospel for this, but Matthew makes it clear that, that Joseph thought about divorcing Mary. But then an angel appeared to him, and if in a sense talked her out of it. But it's, so instead of divorcing Mary, which would have been the customary thing to do, he married her, and then he began and continued rather to protect her. Because remember in Matthew's gospel, he tells us to protect Mary, he was going to divorce her quietly. So his heart was inclined, even at that time, even when he was probably brokenhearted and, and maybe even ashamed, we don't know, but he was still protecting Mary. And so what he did is not only he start protecting, he continued to protect her. And one of the ways he did that was to take her with him to Bethlehem. Because take a look at what Luke writes. He said, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. Now, let me put that in context for you. Caesar Augustus was the first, and many scholars would argue, the most incredible and most accomplished of all the Roman emperors. Because under Augustus, here's what happened. The, 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 the Rome itself went from a republic to an imperial empire, an imperial form of government. Under Augustus, what happened is the Roman Empire expanded to encompass the entire Mediterranean world. And finally, under Augustus, he established, or really came into, into existence, what is known as the Pax Romana. Now, that's Latin, and literally what it means is the peace of Rome. And all of those things were essential to the spread of Christianity. Those things made it possible for Christianity to, to expand after the death of Jesus in a way that it wouldn't have before Augustus. And in all those historical highlights, Luke just kind of adds one other thing. And he says, oh, by the way, Augustus called for a census. And folks, a census then as now was a strategic event. Because in that day, in many ways, not so much today, but in those days, it really was used to establish two things. One was how many men could they draft if they called and pulled up an army. The emperor wanted to know, do I have 100,000, 200,000? He wanted to know the potential strength of an army. The second thing, and all politicians want to know this, my, no offense to any of you who are politicians, in heart at least, he figured out how much tax money he'd get. He wanted to know the earning potential of people and, and what their professions were and how much money he could get. And, and so what we need to understand is this was a strategic political move on Augustus' part. He was looking to, to strengthen his empire. But unlike today, censuses back then were kind of unique. Instead of having people go from door to door or pick up phones or whatever they do today, I never get checked or I never answer the door. I don't know what it is. But anyhow, the, instead of having people go door to door, no, people came to the census taker. And that's where we read about people had to go back to their, their ancestral home. Now, with that said, let, let's just keep reading, because here's what we read. So Joseph also, in other words, with all the other young men, went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Now here's something 
that may be new to you. That many of you, like myself, have been around a long time, but maybe you, this is new to you. Folks, here's what you need to understand. Joseph didn't have to take Mary. He didn't have to. See, see the census was about building an army and, and raising taxes. Women didn't fight in the army. And by and large, there's a few examples, but by and large, the men were the ones that hold, held the wealth. And so Mary didn't need to go. Even as a wife, she didn't need to go. So the question we need to ask is, why did Joseph take her? I mean, as we saw in the video, he was going, okay, this is probably going to be painful. This is going to be uncomfortable. Why would he take her? And, and while the scripture doesn't explicitly tell us, I want to suggest to you some, I think, logical, plausible reasons. The first is just the reason that he wanted to be there for Mary. Again, he continually, all that we know about him, and it's limited, but everything we know about him shows us he was a man that cared deeply for Mary. He was a loving, the scripture tells us he was a righteous man. The other reason is, and we all get this, I mean, think about it. If, if an angel came to you and came to your fiance and said, oh, by the way, you're going to be the parents, the earthly parents of God's son, wouldn't you want to be there for it? Wouldn't you be at least a little bit interested in how this is all going to play out? But here's what I think is the primary motivation in my heart as I read the scripture. I think the primary reason why Joseph took Mary with him to Bethlehem was to protect her from embarrassment, to protect her from ridicule. Now, now here's where I would say I'm going to deviate from what we saw in the video, and, and, and this is all plausibility. Scholars are in different places with this. There is no right or wrong answer, but I just want you to think about this. We typically envision that Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem in the ninth month. I mean, that's what we heard last night, right? And if you were here a few years ago, you heard me preach that. And that's very plausible, and it fits the text. There's nothing that, about that that is not aligned with the text. Here's the other side of the coin. Nowhere in the text does it ever tell us the time frame in which Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. All it says, and I'll read it to you, it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. That doesn't tell us if they went in the first trimester or the third trimester. We do not know when they went. But thinking about Joseph as a loving husband, thinking about the cultural realities, we don't know when they went, but it's fully plausible they went before Mary ever began to start, started to show. For people were even aware of the fact that she was expecting, because let's face it, then like now, people do the math, right? I mean, we all say, oh, you're pregnant, and we all work it back. And what I think Joseph was trying to do is Joseph knew that about people then, just like now, and so Joseph wanted to protect Mary from the conclusions that people would draw and the things people would invariably say. And I would suggest to you, if that's accurate, and again, it's not definitive, and I'm not saying you have to agree with it, but I want you to at least consider it, if that's plausible, then scholars would argue, and I think they're right as well, that if that was true and they went early, say in the first trimester, then probably what Mary and Joseph did is they went and stayed with an extended family member there in Bethlehem, a distant relative. Because again, the other cultural reality in that day was hospitality. The idea that you would have a distant relative come to your house, come to your town, and ask to stay with you, you wouldn't even ask, you would just automatically invite them, but the idea you would tell them, hey, this really isn't convenient, we really don't have the room, was unthinkable. Absolutely unthinkable. And so not only did they probably stay with some relatives, they probably stayed in a packed house full of relatives. And they probably stayed that way maybe for, you know, two months, three months, until the time of Jesus' birth arrived. And then for the need for more space and more privacy, probably at that point when they went out looking 
for some other place to stay. And it was at that point they discovered there was no room at the end. Again, just a thought, just plausibility. But if that's accurate, folks, then it really raises some significant questions. And the second really thing that it highlights for me is this reality, the, the third reality of Mary's maternity, and that is it took place in desperate conditions. Because whatever strata that we put this in, whether it's a third trimester or the first trimester they went to Bethlehem, what we know for certain is eventually they ended up in what we many, many times refer to as the stable, and we do, and when we think that, we think about our Christmas cards. We think about what we have in the foyer, this pristine wooden structure, you know, awash with light, and these loving farm animals gazing lovingly down on the baby Jesus. Doesn't all fit with the Scriptures. Because what tradition tells us, and again, this is tradition, but what tradition tells us, going back to the second century, is it was probably a cave, in fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, you go to Israel today, rather, you will go to the church. If you go to the church of the nativity, they will take you to the basement of the church, and you will see what they believe was the spot that Jesus was born in. And it is a cave. And it's an incredible place to visit. I encourage you to do it if you ever go there. But that's what was believed to be. And if that was a cave, here's what we can know about a cave. It was cold. It was damp. And you fill a cave full of animals, and we can guarantee it was smelly. And definitely unpleasant. And the scripture then tells us that Mary used a manger for a bassinet. Now again, manger makes it feel all warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? It kind of sanitizes it. But again, in the culture of that day, folks, it, it, it was a feeding trough. A feeding trough for large farm animals. And if you, most of us have been around large farm animals and feeding troughs. And they are filthy they are snot-ridden, and they're full of slobber. And Mary did not have any Clorox wipes. So, folks, you know, we talk about this, this, this tranquil, beautiful scene. And, and honestly, what we need to understand is the context. Mary's maternity room was a stark, sparse, and sad space. It, it was not what we envision on our Christmas cards. It's not even what we set up in our foyer. And I love what we set up. Don't hear me knocking that. I'm just saying we need to appreciate what Mary went through. And that brings us to the final reality of her maternity, and that was she was all alone. She was absolutely alone except for Joseph. For Luke writes this, he said, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. And that little statement right there, I mean, again, it, we're all smart enough to deduce this, but like Scott says, all of us, including myself, we get so familiar with the biblical stories, especially the Christmas story, that we really don't stop and really think about what the Scripture's telling us. Now, it tells us that Mary wrapped him. Now, ladies, I've been there by God's grace, and I was conscious, but I was there with Lara for the delivery of all three of our kids. And here's what I discovered, and I was completely ignorant, and I don't say that flippantly, I'm just being honest with you, that I discovered that after a woman gives birth, she doesn't have much energy or strength to do anything for anyone, including herself, let alone a newborn baby. And yet it says... Mary wrapped him himself, which clearly implies there was no woman, no midwife there to take the baby and to care for him while Mary tried to care for herself. She was absolutely alone. Now, folks, that's the reality again that a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl faced to bring Jesus into the world, to answer God's call and to be the mother of God. But here's the thing that's amazing to me. Rather than becoming bitter about the circumstances she had to go through, 
rather than becoming resentful that no one was there to care for, rather than being, you know, feeling self-pity and I wouldn't blame her. No, Mary responded to all of that in a very, very different way. And I want us to see how she responded by going on in the text. For Luke writes this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you, he is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now let me just take you back to last Sunday again, because if you were here, and even if you were, I'll, I'll just bring you up to speed, that we learned last Sunday that shepherds were seen as this outcast group of people. This, this low-class group of people. So, you know, the bottom line I would say to you, not only were they seen as outcasts, but people for that reason didn't want to associate with them. So if you want an equivalent today, here's my equivalent for you of how people saw shepherd. Think biker gang. You know, you know we, we have the pagans, I've learned about it here in the East Coast, and Hell's Angels, and, and they had the shepherds. I mean, maybe not the same power as the pagans and Hell's Angels, but the shepherds, that's how they were perceived, kind of like a biker gang. And so when they showed up in the stable, here's the reason I go that. Moms, think about this. You've just given delivery and a group of pagans show up at the, at the hospital. <laughs> a, a group of bikers. Now, I mean, think about it. I, I could fully imagine Mary, right after giving birth, these, these shepherds show up and she's thinking, great. The day just keeps getting better and better. <laughs> I've gone through all this and now I, I've got a group of shepherds at the door. Now, I say to you, I, I think that's absolutely logical, and I wouldn't have blamed Mary if she did that, but she responded in a completely different way. A completely different way, because take a look at what Luke tells us. He said, after the shepherds told her what the angel had told them and, and shared with Jeff, uh, Joseph, here's what Luke says. He said, Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And not just what the shepherds said, but all these things. Folks, journalists, if you've ever taken journalism, ever had to work in writing, you've heard the expression, burying the lead. And all it refers to is you're writing an article, and your news story, whatever it is, and what you do is you begin with the minor details. The, the, the details really no one cares about. And you somehow bury the thing that everyone cares about. So let's say you're, you're writing about a tax hike. They're going to double our taxes. You begin writing the article and talk about how it took weeks to get this bill done and how the, you know, the senators and the congressmen and women fought and squabbled. And finally, at the bottom of the article, oh, by the way, your taxes are going to double next year. That would be doubling the lead because the thing we cared about is the fact that we're going to have a whole lot less money this next year, right? Here's the reason I share that. Luke buried the lead here. You can see, the reality is what's, what, what the headline here isn't the fact that Mary's maternity was faced in absolute poverty. 
And it wasn't the fact that she had to be far away from home and family when she delivered. It wasn't the fact that she gave birth in desperate situations, that she gave birth with no support from mother, family, friends, aunts, uncles, whatever. No, the real headline was Mary's attitude. The fact that this 13, 14-year-old girl, even with a house full of shepherds, still said to the Lord, and, and really, more accurately, Luke said of her, she treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. I want to unpack that for you. I want, to, I want to unpack those two phrases, she treasured and she pondered. Because think about it, when we treasure something, what do we do? We value it, right? We, 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 we recognize something is of significance, something that's precious, something that's important. And when we ponder something, we think about it deeply. We reflect on it for a long time, trying to draw out the depths, the importance, the meaning of that action, that word, that encounter. And Luke tells us that's how Mary responded to all these things, all these difficult circumstances. So folks, I, I want to ask you, how do we respond to the difficult circumstances in life? How do we respond to those things in life that God allows in our life? I mean, how do we respond to the good and the bad, the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs? See, the reality is, and, and I'll, be as, I'll let myself in here with all of us, I, and I don't want to speak for you, so I'll speak for myself. I know my temptation is to be far too controlled by my circumstances. In other words, when things are good, I feel good, and when things are bad, I feel bad. And the reality is, folks, Mary didn't respond that way. She responded in a very different way. And if you say, well, I don't know where I fit on that continuum, Jerry. I don't know just how much my circumstances control me. Well, let me give you an internal private test. Ask yourself this question. When was the last time something negative happened in my life that wasn't good, I mean, maybe even just downright depressing and defeating, and I chose to treasure it in my heart for no other reason than I believe there is a God who filters everything before he lets it into my life. And so even if God allows painful things, difficult things, depressing things into my life, didn't cause them, allowed them, I still choose to trust him. Because I believe there's a larger story. A larger story than I'm experiencing in this moment. When was the last time you pondered like that? Then I want you to ask yourself, when was the last time I looked at the circumstances of my life and I pondered them through the lenses of God's goals and not my goals? God's plan and not my plan. God's will and not my will. When was the last time I pondered the circumstances, even the difficult circumstances, especially the difficult circumstances of life, through the lens of what God might be wanting to do in my life, and in the life of other people, and in the world? When was the last time that that perspective shaped how I saw what was happening in my life? Folks, the reality is Mary treasured her poverty. She treasured being away from home. She treasured giving birth in desperate situations and conditions. She treasured being alone without family or friends. She even treasured the shepherds. Not in some unhealthy way. Not in some kind of masochistic way. No, she, she treasured them because she saw in all of them that God was allowing them. 
God was actually trusting her with them. God was actually asking her to endure them. And that perspective made all those things treasures. Because Mary knew there was a greater purpose, a greater purpose than she could even see in the moment. But folks, what about us? I mean, I know. I, I live in the same world you do. I experience the same hurts you do. And so when I ask what about us, let me just tell you, I know for some of us sitting here today and some of us watching on, I guarantee there's more than a couple of us that are saying, if I were honest right now, life stinks. That's just how I feel. Maybe it's because the kids aren't coming home today. Maybe it's because you don't feel appreciated at work. Maybe it's because you've been trying and you just can't find work. Maybe it's because you're facing a serious financial challenge, maybe a serious relational challenge or a physical challenge. But whatever the reason, if you were honest with yourself or honest with others, you felt you could be honest with them, you'd say, oh, I feel like my life stinks. And folks, I hear that, and I empathize with that. But I wonder what Mary might say to us in light of her experience. I mean, what would Mary counsel us? So can I offer what I think Mary's counsel would be for all of us? And we've all been there, haven't we? We've all said in a moment of pain, a moment of frustration that life stinks. Here, here's what I think Mary would offer counsel to us. Say, you know what, view whatever is going on in your life as part of a story that's bigger than your current reality in your current circumstances. And therefore, as followers of the living God, stop seeing everything as present trouble and start seeing it as potential treasure. Because God is with you, just like He is with me. And He will work in and through your painful circumstances if you'll let Him. Folks, I, I think that's what Mary would say to us today. But I know for a fact, while I can't be certain about that, I can't be certain about that. I, I'm certain that that mindset, that perspective that Mary had is what made her incredible. It's what set her apart. It, it's what made her be a woman that God could use and God can bless. And it wasn't just because of her obedience that we looked at last week. It's also because of this incredible radical trust she had in God in spite of her circumstances. An incredible trust that said every challenge she faced was father-filtered. And so she never saw herself as poor. She, she never saw herself as deprived. She never saw herself away from home. She never saw herself disadvantaged. She never saw herself alone. And she definitely didn't see herself as a victim. Instead, she saw herself, and these are her words, she saw herself as blessed among all women. And she was right, folks, she was. But here's what I want you to ponder on. We are blessed as well. We truly are blessed of God today. And I just want to say to you, what I want you to take away from this morning is this, that fact that we are blessed is worth you and I taking some time today to ponder. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Mary's example. For Father, the more I, I've dug into her life, the more I've really pondered who she is and what she went through and how she responded, I find myself deeply, deeply challenged to rethink how I respond to life. 
Because the reality is, Father, for many of us, again, I'll speak for myself, that we fall short of her faith, so far short of her trust, so far short of her commitment to your work in the world. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for challenging us today through Mary's example and through Mary's life. For, Father, we can so easily fall prey to the discouragement, to the bitterness, the frustration towards you and toward others because of our circumstances. And so, Father, I ask you to help us ponder Mary's faith and Mary's trust in you and her reaction to all those circumstances, those ugly, painful circumstances that transpired in her life. And then will you help us view what we're going through ourselves through a different set of lenses? Father, that's my prayer today. As we go from this place as families, as friends, to celebrate this incredible gift, the greatest gift you could ever give us, the gift of your son, and we prayed in his name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, Jerry, for that message this morning and uh, calling us to remember what God is doing in our, our lives uh, even though we might not see what's happening, those circumstances around us. In light of that, I want to share a story with you um, about Corrie ten Boom. If uh, you don't know who she is, she was a, a Dutch Christian who helped um, many Jews escape Nazi persecution during World War II. And um, she said when talking about her purpose in life, she would show um, a cloth with a messy jumbled of colored threads that seemed to have no order or logic to their arrangement. And then she would read this Grant Colfax Tuller poem, and I want to share that with you. It says, um, and it's called Life is But a Weaving. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly. Will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why? The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. And then she would turn the cloth over, which revealed what the weaving really was, and it was a beautiful crown. And then she would say, although the threads of my life have often seemed knotted, I know by faith that on the other side of the embroidery there is a crown. Hanging there, the trials of your life are just part of a beautiful masterwork that you will see in hindsight. And so maybe that's where you are today, that you are seeing the backside of that tapestry, that the circumstances of life um, kind of seem rough. But, you know, there's hope, and so that's what we are here today to share with you is the hope of Jesus. And if that's you, if you are in that place, on the back of that gray card, um, there are some boxes that if you want to know maybe how to begin a relationship with Jesus or you want some resources for your journey, you can do that today um, by checking that one of those boxes, and we'd be more than happy to reach out and pray with you and talk with you about whatever it is that's going on. You can also do that online this morning. If you'll look back through that thread there in the chat window, you'll see a place that you can also um, be able to reach out and connect as well. 
I appreciate your attention today and your worshiping with us this morning as we sang carols together, reminding us of the glory of Jesus and his birth, and then the message of hope that we had today. So would you carry that with you as you go out today, would be with your families and have lunch in a few minutes, and just rejoice that Jesus is born, that we have salvation through him, and we have hope for our future. So share that good news with someone as you go out today. Thanks so much, and uh, I look forward to seeing you next week. One service again for the new year, so um, we'll see you at 1030 next Sunday morning as well. Take a look at some of the opportunities in the bulletin as well, some great new things that are coming up in the new year. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you.